gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. If you would, I'm going to say one more brief word of prayer, so bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. So for those who've been with us for some time, some of what we're going to talk through over the next month, it, it may seem familiar. Uh, but if you're newer with us over the last year or two, this will be new material. Over the next month, we are going to be preaching and teaching about our core values. And, and those four core values are as follows. As a church, we gather together. As a church, we grow together. As a church, we give together. And as a church, we go together. And today, we're tackling the core value of gathering together. And I want to start by sharing a little story from my past. The year was around 1986, and I grew up in Central Florida, and my dad had this great idea of taking me on a camping trip. Now, this was not one of these camping trips in a camper. It was in a tent. And those who've been with us for a while know my dad is most like Chevy Chase from the Christmas Vacation movies. He means well. It always does not go well with my dad and adventures. And then you introduce a boat. But before we get to the boat, we're camping. Anyone like to camp in tents in the room? Raise your hand. Okay, we have a few. We have some. So uh, I think this was the first time we went camping in a tent together. So we camped out Friday night. We woke up very early on Saturday morning when we were going to go fishing. And uh, for those that know Lake uh, Kissimmee, it's in central Florida. It's over 50 square miles. And uh, it's infested with alligators and water moccasins. In fact, 50 plus square miles of lake, the deepest parts, I think, around 12 feet deep. So it's just teeming with gators. 
And in fact, I think Swamp People, that TV show, was inspired through Lake Kissimmee. You could go out there at night with a spotlight and see so many eyes of gators. But along with the gators, there were largemouth bass. Any fishermen or fisherwomen in the room? Yeah? Tons of bass. And so we were set. We backed the boat in. My dad backed the boat in. I was a young guy, and we, we started going in the boat. And after a couple miles, I noticed that we weren't leveling off. Like, in fact, as you go in a boat, right, you're, you're supposed to kind of level off. But it was doing just the opposite. In fact, it was tipping up the front was tipping up, and, and I looked back, and sure enough, there's tons of water in the boat. And I screamed, we're sinking, right? And, and, and he said, well, did you put the plug in the boat? And I'm like, did, did I put the plug in the, I mean, did you ask me? No, did you put, no, there's no plug in the boat. And he says, but if we keep going, the water should drain out of the boat, right? It was too late, friends, listen. We were going, and we were tipping more, and finally he stopped, and we plugged, we, we plugged the hole in the back of the boat with like a T-shirt or something, and we start bailing. It wasn't working, and so he's like, look, how about this? We've plugged the hole. Uh, we can keep bailing, and I'll start, and maybe the combination of all this, we'll be able to empty the boat and, and get back to the land. Friends, it didn't work. Why? Because the water was so high in the boat, like over a foot, that it was over the battery of the boat. So we're in the middle of Lake Kissimmee, teaming with gators, saying, we're sinking, right? Like, wait, and get, listen, I know young people don't understand. There weren't these back then. These did not exist in the mid-'80s, right? It was this, right? Like, like hand signals, like throwing arms everywhere. And sure enough, as, as different fishermen were taken off, some just sped by us, we ended, up getting, we, we ended up getting towed back into the boat ramp, and we survived. I'm here, right? Uh, anyone that's owned a boat knows there's always going to be a boating disaster at some point. Can I get an amen? Right? So, you know, that day we were, I think it's fair to say we were sinking through our own failure. But in our passage, you see the early disciples sinking because of the weight of God's glory. So we're going to dive into this passage, look at it over the next few minutes. I think the big idea, the big takeaway is this. Through life-changing disruption, Jesus calls us to be a people of presence, peace, and purpose. Through life-changing disruption, Jesus calls us to be a people of presence, peace, and purpose. Point one, he calls us to be a people of presence, we read earlier, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two people, excuse me, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked them to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. The first thing we notice is Jesus disrupts the way we relate to God. A little background information on this passage. Jesus began his public ministry just a chapter before in the Bible, in Luke chapter 4. And he had rolled out this scroll of Isaiah saying, I've come to set the captives free. And people were astonished, they were amazed, some were turned on, some were turned off. And then he goes on to Capernaum and 
he exercises a demon from this person and then begins to heal different people in different towns around Galilee. And so he's getting a following, but here's what's different and disruptive. You know, up until that point, to access God, to be connected to God, there were certain steps and sacrifices one had to make to enter into God's presence. On top of that, the religious leaders of the day just added more and more and more rules. Religion following the ways of Yahweh became so heavy. Jesus shows up on the scene and he comes to them and he comes to us and he's proactive and personal, seeking to build a relationship with us. The uh, gospel writer John records it like this. So the word became flesh or became human and made his home among us. Jesus himself would later say, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Do you see back then and here now, Jesus is saying, I have come. I want to set up a home here with you now. I want to reconnect God with you. I want to build a relationship with you. And it's so personal. I just imagine Simon, he's, they're mending the nets after a long night of fishing. He says, Simon, I need you to come with me. Can I use your boat? And there and then, that boat becomes a floating pulpit. And Jesus uses Simon, builds a relationship with Simon. And the people are pressing in for what? To hear the word of God that's coming through who? Jesus. The application for our church is this. Jesus wants us to intentionally gather in his presence. He wants us to press in together to hear the word of God. So what does that mean for us? We're not a church that simulcasts messages where you could go to Bedside Baptist. We think there's great value in actually responding to being a local and personal community of faith where people know your name, just as Jesus knows Simon's name. And he's saying, I'm come to be proactive and personal and build a relationship with you and to work in and through you. So that, that impacts how we look at Sunday mornings. That impacts the value of community groups. That impacts the value of our gatherings. God is calling us in great and small ways into his presence. How? By sending his son, Jesus. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Point number two, Jesus calls us to be a people of peace. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. You see, Jesus next disrupts the notion that we have life all figured out. Let me, let me paint the picture of what's going on. Um, Simon, Peter, and all these others that are with him, they are professional commercial fishermen, right? You've got this carpenter. Yes, he's, 
he's on the scene. He's, he's somehow grown in favor with God to preach God's word. And so Simon honors him by saying, you can use my boat as a floating pulpit. But then Jesus challenges him and takes it a step further. And he says, now I want you to cast off into the deep. Go deep with me. Now, in those days, this isn't just casting and reeling back in. This would have been using drag nets, 100-foot-long nets that they would have taken a long time to put out in a semicircle, and then uh, hand over hand, pull them in all night they would have been fishing. Thousands of pounds of nets would have been lifted and, and, and cast again and again, again and again, again and again, and they didn't even catch a minnow. Okay, then Jesus meets them on the shore that next morning. They're mending their nets. They're, they're fixing their nets. They've cleaned their nets. And he's like, hey, I've got a good idea. Cast out into the deep with me. I don't know about you, but if you've ever gone out with a professional fisherman and said to them, hey, I've got a good idea. Why don't you do this or do that? That won't go so well. That'd be like me saying to Steph Curry, hey, can you, you might want to work on your, your shot. I noticed you're leaning a little this way. You kind of step back on that floater. Um, it's preposterous. But what's the result? Jesus meets Peter, Simon Peter, right where he's at and, and overwhelms him with provision and bounty. The catch is so strong that just like I did in Kissimmee, but for a different reason, he's waving down his partners in another boat saying, come, help us. Can you imagine how many fish were in that net? The boats, historians tell us, would have been 27 feet long by about seven and a half feet wide, filled to the brim with fish. Simon knew something was up, not just with Jesus, but with himself. And in response, he drops to his knees and he says, away from me, O Lord, for I'm a sinful man. You see, he measured in that moment who he was and something about who Jesus was. Do I think he fully understood that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior? No. But he recognized that that man, Jesus, was from God. He was a God-man, and he was but a, a mortal man with flaws and limitations and pride. Over the last two weeks, I've been dealing with a very dark, hard personal situation with a friend. Uh, I got a call saying, hey, this, this friend, he's in real trouble. And it uh, turns out this friend, uh, there's an intervention, and now he's in rehab. I didn't know any of it. And I finally got the friend on the phone, actually, last Sunday at 8 a.m. before our 9 a.m. service. He's allowed 10 minutes to talk each day. That's it, in, in this rehab. And, and I said, tell me, what, what happened? And he said, here's what happened. It started like this. And then it led to this. And I, I was looking at this. And then I did this. And before you know it, I became the worst version of myself. And I know I need help. He had come to that place where he was dropped on his knees before God saying, away from me for I'm a sinful man. He recognized that there was separation between who he was and who Jesus was or God was. And that's really the definition of sin. There's a separation between us and God. And the Bible says we all face this reality. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And it doesn't even have to be through your own fallenness. You can just recognize that you don't have it all together. There are limitations in, in what you're doing and who you are and where you are. Someone came up to me after the first service this morning and they said, that, really, that sermon really landed with me because I do feel there's separation and there's struggle and I'm on my knees before God saying, help me. Have you ever gotten to that point where you scream out to Jesus, away from me, I'm a sinful man, or help me? You know, Jesus, excuse me, Peter, Simon Peter is trapped in his fear, but I love how Jesus responds. He responds in love and says, Simon, do not be afraid. The Apostle Paul, in his conversion and in his life, continued to struggle with certain things. And he heard these words from Jesus, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So friends, let me ask, do you know this grace that is sufficient for you, whatever you're facing today? Colin, be it in your school. Be it in your work. Be it in your relationships. Be it in your marriage. Some of you are struggling. There's discord, and you're facing a divorce. It's hard. Jesus says, do not be afraid, for my grace is sufficient for you. He offers us his presence, and he offers us his peace. The application here for our church is this. He wants, us, us, he wants all of us to surrender our pride and lean into and gather in his peace. And when we're able to do that, it's so beautiful because we're not trying to posture or prove anything to one another. We're just all on our knees saying we need more. We need help. And God says through Jesus, don't be afraid. Uh, you know, what's interesting about this book, as a side note, Luke is the first volume of his work. Do you know what the second volume of Luke's work is known as? What book of the Bible? Acts. He wrote the book of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. The book of Luke is where God is calling these young disciples, hey, follow me, know me, trust me. And then he sends those young disciples to be him, to extend that love. Acts chapter 2, there's all these people gathered. It's called Pentecost. And, and they're, they're gripped. It says they're cut to the heart. And they say to Peter, what must we do? And he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ. And this promise is for you and for many and for your, you know, your families and many who are far off. So for our church, the public look of what it means to drop on our knees and to receive his grace is through the sacrament of baptism. So I don't know if you've been baptized, but I can tell you it's one of the most glorious divine things our church does. Heaven and earth collide, not just out there, but right here in the hearts of men and women. God wants you to know that his grace is sufficient for you, be it at 6 a.m., 6 p.m., 12 a.m., whatever you're facing. He wants you to know his presence and his peace. The third point is this, and Jesus calls us to be a people of purpose. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I don't know about you, but this image is kind of wacky and interesting. It's always caught me the first time I read it as a kid. We're going to be catching men. Does that mean 
the hooks in their mouth. Like, what does that mean? In the original language, it means this. It means to capture someone alive or to spare a life. It's a bit of a pun. What, what Jesus is saying here is you catch fish and you bring them from life to death. You're going to now catch men and you're going to bring them from death to life. Are you with me? Follow me. He's saying, Brett, Kendall, you're created for more. Follow me. And it's in this third way, Jesus disrupts the idea that life as we know it is as good as it gets. Life as we know it is as good as it gets. That's just simply not true, not in the gospel. Jesus wants to use you to spare lives, to save lives, to touch and change the world. And he says, follow me. And what's so beautiful about this is all are invited into this call. Every one of you in this room, I don't care if you're in middle school, high school, wherever you're at, we're all invited into this call. Theologian Daryl Bach says it like this, Jesus' gathering of disciples was not unusual in his time in Jewish setting. Many rabbis would gather students around them to teach Torah. But the kind of disciples Jesus gathers is unusual. They are not theological professionals. Fishermen, tax collectors, former revolutionaries, and just plain old sinners make up this new community. Jesus launches them on a journey with God, a walk in which God begins to work in their lives. Basically, he calls them and he calls us as a band of misfits. He says, I want to use you, Frederick. I want to use you, Michael. I want to use you, David. All of us are invited to be part of his band of missionaries, if you will, called to purpose beyond ourselves. And beyond that, not only are all called, but nothing is excluded from this call. The passage ends, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They literally parked their boats, dropped their nets, and said, I'm all in. I'm all in. Have you ever had that moment? Let me just tell you how liberating and invigorating it is to not hold so tight to your nets and to drop them to say, I'm all in. I give you my all and my everything. Uh, last week, we had this oyster roast at the Pierce Park Pavilion. And it was, it was a beautiful moment for various reasons, but for those that don't know the history of our church, it, it wasn't always so beautiful. In fact, it was very awkward. When we started the church, uh, we, I'll be honest, there was some fear in my heart and in my family's heart. We, we resigned this national job. We knew God was calling us to go all in. And we sent out some emails, we held some prayer gatherings, and then we did some preview services at the Pierce Park Pavilion. Spring 2014, we had a service there at 5 p.m., uh, three, uh, excuse me, one night, three months in a row. The first time we were there, we're setting up. I'm sweating like a pack mule. We rented these chairs, these little wedding chairs. We didn't really know what we were doing. We just know God was calling us to do it. And there's all these people partying, literally partying, loud music to the left, in the pool area, bikinis and board shorts. And several walked in and just started talking to us, hey, what's going on? And, uh, hey, we're about to hold a church service, you want to join us? And they're like, hey, great, now. <laughs> and uh, 
I just remember praying, God, please just let 30 people come. It was such, it was such a tender moment. And I look around today, and I know there are certain faces and certain people and certain families that were with us praying the same prayer. God, would you just have like 30, 30 or so people show? And they showed, and it was awkward. And, uh, and then we continued to grow and gain mass and momentum. Fast forward to last weekend. We had hundreds of people at the oyster roast. Hundreds. Never seen so many people eat so many oysters, right? Right? But there was more going on in that moment. We weren't just, you know, eating oysters. God was capturing hearts. God was gathering us. As people shook each other's hands, they introduced each other. We had teams at the front and the back welcoming people in. We had setup teams, teardown teams. Everyone has a role on the team in God's economy. Every conversation counts in God's economy. And he was using all of us, young and old, to cultivate this kind of community where we're going all in. And I was just gushing with gratitude to be a part of it. So our passage teaches in summary this. Jesus calls us to be a people of presence, a people of peace, and a people of purpose. And so I invite you, I challenge you, I encourage you as we look to this month and this year to be intentional in, in, in setting aside Sundays and other you know, avenues in which we set up to gather around Jesus and his word. Why? That's what we see in the scriptures. It matters. We want to know you by name. We want to be in this together. And beyond just you know, gathering in his presence, we want to be people of life change where we see in our own lives in helping others drop to their knees and see their limitations in God's unlimited love. And last but not least, we just invite you to say, God, you have my all and my everything. And it is so liberating and so invigorating, I guarantee God will use every person in this room. So friends, I just say, let's do it. Let's gather together around the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and let's set our city and world on fire. So here's the deal. As we close in prayer in this sermon part of the service, I just invite you, if any part of this message touched you, if you want God's presence, maybe for the first time or afresh today, palms up as we pray. If you need his peace, his grace in some area, palms up in a posture of receiving. And then if you want to be used by him, palms up. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would know us and you would search us and you would love us. God, for those of us that need and want to know your presence through your son Jesus, draw us close to you today, that we would leave this place amazed by how personal your touch is and your call is. And God, for those who need your peace, they need grace in marriages or parenting situations or just life decisions, God, would you send your grace to invade their hearts and lives? And God, lastly, we just pray that you would use us. We don't know what we're doing, but we drop our nets and say, we follow you individually and corporately. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.